0: Almighty God, you promise that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So I direct your attention to our gospel reading for this morning. Page 8 in your bulletin. Verse 21, we read this. They went to Capernaum. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Kephar Naum, or uh, the village of Naum. Uh, the Greeks could not say that very easily, so they just said Capernaum. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Uh, The word in the Greek there is is one of astonishment. Uh, There's several ways you could translate this. They were shocked. They were unsettled, disturbed. They were incredulous. Probably the entire range of reactions being registered. Because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. In other words what the people were hearing from Jesus was unlike anything they had ever heard. So here's the deal. In first century Judaism, your life was governed by the law of Moses. And the scribes were the experts in the law of Moses. They were the experts in what mattered most to you in your life or what should have mattered most to you anyway. They were not only the Xerox copy machines of their day, making copies of the Hebrew scriptures. They were the rabbis. And we've learned before, the word rabbi in Hebrew means my great one. So you looked up to these men. And they would teach the Bible to the people. They were the synagogue leaders. They would do the preaching. And they were also jurists. They were lawyers who would render decisions in legal matters. So along with the chief priests, The scribes were the elites of Jewish society. However, Mark is reporting to us in the Gospel reading that compared to Jesus, they were bumpkins. They were hillbillies. Quite a contrast. Now, usually, the less we know about someone, the more mysterious they seem to us. Then we learn more about them and the mystery around them begins to evaporate. But with Jesus, it's just the opposite. The more we know about him, the more mysterious he appears because he is unlike anyone else. And that's Roman numeral one in your sermon outline, page nine. He's unlike anyone else. Letter A, he's certainly unlike the scribes or the rabbis. Because point number one, they taught about God. They taught about God. Point number two, Jesus taught as God. He spoke as God. For example, in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that who's ever angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. You see, Jesus issues the command in the first person. He interprets it in the first person. I say to you, he speaks as God himself. And letter B, he is unlike other great religious leaders. Because point number one, other great religious leaders point you to their teaching. They point you to their teaching. Confucianism is a set of teachings. Confucius is not important. Islam claims to be the revelation of Allah. Muhammad is merely the messenger. Buddhism emphasizes the principles of the Buddha, Not Buddha himself. However, at the center of Christianity is not a set of teachings, but a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just teach truth. He claimed to be the truth. So point number two, Jesus points you to himself. He points to himself. Who else does that? Who else should? can do that lowercase a his teaching is important but secondary it's important but secondary his person is primary he's God true God and true man 100% divine and 100% human And we see this, this primacy of his person in the I am statements in John's Gospel. I am the bread of life. I just don't point you to something else that's bread. I am the bread. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. He points to himself. Not to someone else. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he asks them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? What an odd question. The question assumes that he is something that the rest of us aren't. Mark does not bother to tell us what Jesus taught the people in the synagogue that day. The emphasis falls on Jesus himself. For Mark, the subjects Jesus teaches are important but secondary. The person of Jesus is primary. For Mark, the true gospel, the real good news, is Jesus Christ himself. Matthew In his gospel, he he sees the gospel as a book. He begins the gospel in this way, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Mark, now, now that's true, but Mark teaches a different truth. Mark sees the gospel as a person. He begins his gospel in this way, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel in person. So, Roman numeral two. The good news is Christ himself. He is the good news. Not just the message about him, but he himself. And if he is the good news, well, there's more to any other person than what they might do for you. And there's more to Jesus than what he might do for you. But we view Jesus as what he might do for us. It's just our way. Letter A, is Jesus merely a means to an end? People think that. In John 6, Jesus says to a crowd of people whom he's just fed, he's just fed the 5,000, and they're following him. And he turns and he says this, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, But because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils. Work for food that endures to eternal life. You see, Jesus to them is nothing more than a meal ticket. Now, this is similar to what has been called negative partisanship today. People today, when it comes to politics, say, well, I'm not so much for my own party. I'm against the other party. Or I'm not so much for my candidate. I'm just against the other candidate. And, And we can treat God in the same way. It's not so much that I want to be with Jesus in heaven. It's that I want to avoid hell. And that reduces Jesus to just another means to an end. Letter B, is Jesus enough for us? Is he sufficient for us? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then Philip says this. This is how Philip responds. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. In other words, Jesus, you're not enough. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, God the Father dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus is, therefore, the fullest revelation of the Father to us. To ask for something more is to reject not only Jesus, but the Father whom Jesus reveals. And let her see. Jesus plus nothing. I used to say Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's a true statement. But after reading Philippians 3, 7, and 8, I put the greater than sign there. Uh, If you remember your algebra, that's a greater than sign. Jesus plus nothing is greater than everything that we might have or aspire to. Greater than everything. And St. Paul writes in Philippians 3, But whatever gain I had, whatever I I thought was important and absolutely necessary for me, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, He's greater than everything else that you might aspire to. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things, And count them as rubbish. And the word in the Greek is poop. He counts them as refuse. In order that I may gain Christ. So to Paul, Jesus is more than a means to an end. He's the end. He's the goal. He's the true treasure. And my friends, Jesus desires that we seek him not only for what he might give to us, he desires that we seek him for what he should be to us, what he should be to us. He should be our everything and more. Now it's true that our needs drive us to Jesus. One reason I'm a Christian is I don't want to end up in the grave and remain there. I want to rise. I don't want to go to hell. It's true that our needs drive us to Jesus. But our needs should be nothing more than a doorway to him. Jesus is much more than the sum of our needs. Just as any other person you meet is much more than whatever he or she might do for you. Consider the following question. Here's my question. If you knew that those whom you love most would not be with you in heaven, would Jesus be enough for you? Would he be enough for you? Now I am going to assume that those whom you love most will be with you in heaven. I'm going to assume that. I think that's a safe assumption. But suppose they were not. Would Jesus alone suffice? If you cannot say yes to that question today, don't panic. It is a matter of spiritual growth. You will grow into it. So keep hearing his words. Receive his body and blood every Lord's day. Don't sleep in. Remember that once you were lost, but now you're found. Once you were dead in your sins... Now you are alive in him who lived and died and rose for you. Roman numeral three, application. Speaking with authority today. That's true in the civil realm. We've talked about that with the sheriff's deputy, right? Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Well... Don't you know I have authority to release you? I have authority to crucify you. How did Jesus respond? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. You see, all authority comes from above. That's why St. Paul wrote in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities... Resist what God has appointed. And the only time you can resist the authority, and you should resist the authority, is when? Anybody know? It's when they ask you to do something against God's word. Then you must disobey them. For their sake, as well as your own, right? And so what about authoritative speech? In the spiritual or eternal realm, that's letter B. In the divine service, what we do here every Lord's Day, we don't just talk about Jesus. This space is not an auditorium, okay? It's not an auditorium with loads of cushy seats that fold down and, and that sort of thing. This is not a place primarily where we talk about Jesus. This is where we do Jesus to you. We do Jesus to you. Remember in Matthew chapter 9, where um, Jesus is teaching in a house, I think in Capernaum again, and um, there's some people carrying a paralyzed man They can't get through the doorway. There's such a large crowd. So they tear up the roof, and they lower him in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? My son, seeing their faith... He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody gets their knickers in a twist and wondering, well, who can forgive sins except God alone, <laughs> right? You know, this man blasphemes, right? And so in order to show that he has authority to forgive sins, what does he do? He says, I, I say to you, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And all the people were amazed. Wow, how? Why were they amazed? Because God had given such authority to men to men in the plural that's written from the perspective of the church he's given the keys of the kingdom this authoritative speech to forgive and to retain sins to the church I remember um, as a pastor in Texas after a service one day there was a, a woman there visiting it was her first time and her last uh, visiting us um, she was mightily offended because at the beginning of the service, toward the beginning, I was forgiving sins. I was speaking absolution. And she and she said afterward, she buttonholed me after the service. She said, What right do you have to, to speak forgiveness to anyone? That's God's prerogative. And I was really taken aback, and I I said something like, Well, this is what we've been given to do. By Jesus you know in John 20 and elsewhere Matthew 18 as well he says whosoever sins you forgive they are forgiven whosoever sins you retain they are retained this is exactly the work he's given us to do you see we have this authority from God we have authority to speak blessings upon people you know st. Paul concludes second Corinthians with these words The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. A blessing is a conferral, it's a giving of grace. We're called to do that. I'm called to do that publicly on behalf of the congregation. You're called to do it privately in your personal life, to speak forgiveness or to speak a warning that that sin's retained as long as they do not repent. We're given this authoritative speech. It even applies to exorcisms. And I, I've never done an exorcism of a person. And I, I'm not looking to. Um, but we do exorcisms of place. and that's a house blessing. And I, I can recall years ago here, uh, one of our members, who's now deceased, uh, was uh, shared with me on, on a visit. Uh, she she was a shut-in and she shared with me, she said, Pastor Armstrong, she said, I keep hearing voices coming out of a certain room in my house. And I asked her, but we talked about it for a little while and, and she described this to me. She said on occasion uh, at night time she'll be in the room next to that room, in her bedroom, and from this other Room. It was vacant, it just had some things stored in it. She said, I hear people talking, and it's frightening. I said, well, we can do a house blessing, why don't we do that, okay? And so we go from room to room, reading God's Word, and praying, and casting out any evil spirits that might be present. I don't know if evil spirits were there, but we cast them out in case they are, okay? Uh, in the name of Jesus and so then I left and I kind of forgot about it until the next month I'm visiting with her and I asked her I said well by the way I said heard any more voices lately and she said no I have not and it continued that way now I don't know if there was an evil spirit there or not. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you what happened. Okay, that's all. I'm just telling you what happened. So privately, you administer the keys as well. And, uh, you know, this is where our Lord says, if, if, if anyone offends you, go to him privately. You know, heal the breach. Forgive Uh, That sort of thing. James writes as well, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. This is the work the Lord has given us to do. So, to sum up, in our gospel reading for this morning, and, and really throughout the gospels, Jesus speaks in ways the scribes would never dare to speak. He forgives sins. He casts out demons. He speaks with authority. But what is most amazing to me is that He calls us to follow in His steps. (laughs) He authorizes us to make disciples of all nations, to baptize, to teach, to forgive sins, to bless others, and yes, to cast out evil spirits if necessary. He calls us not only to speak about God, but to speak as God on occasion. Jesus calls us to speak and to act in ways that even some other Christians would not dare So I sum it up in this way. This Jesus, he's truly unique. And so are his followers. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.